Good morning. Today's scripture is 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Let me get settled in here. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, it's a time of year where I feel a little bit kind of different, right? I don't feel myself when I, when I preach without a jacket on. <laughs> but it's that time of year, right? Uh, grateful. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, Lord. I pray that uh, your words will be spoken here this morning. In this sermon, Lord, I pray that there's one heart in here that needs to hear about your love and your grace. Would you just make a path to the hearts of those in this room? Heavenly Father, no one came here to hear from me, Lord, they came to hear from you, and I pray that I'm just a mouthpiece that you will use um, for folks to hear. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. James chapter 3, verse 1, I will remind you always, like I always do, says, not many should strive to be teachers of God's word because teachers of God's word will be judged more harshly. So as I stand here this morning, as I prepare this week, that always weighs heavily in my heart that one day God will look in my eyes and judge me and judge me based on what I'm going to do in the next half hour or so. We hope it's a half hour. <laughs> so I like to keep it. Amen. We're in, a new we're in a new series uh, in the book of 1 John. Uh, we'll be here for the rest of the summer, so probably about 10 weeks or so. Um, and then we'll move into the fall where we will, we will study through the book of Revelation. John is the same John that wrote the book of John. And he also writes the book of Revelation. So we'll walk through kind of the first, first John is only five chapters. Matter of fact, if you put your headphones in, and you listen to it, it's probably only about 10 minutes. It's worth listening to over and over as we go through this, this series together. John is the author. He's the longest living disciple. He's the youngest of the disciples. He's writing to the church as a whole. At this point in his life, he is serving as kind of an elder over several churches. He is writing to the Christian church 
And at this point, one of my professors used to say, the church at this point was facing a gravitational pull toward what, toward what looks like a disastrous failure. By the way, if this is your first time, my name is Marcus. <laughs> and I'm one of the pastors here. You're probably like, who is this guy? He's up there, all of a sudden he's going. This book is filled with the word we, because Paul, I'm sorry, John is trying to get us to understand that we are in it together. By the way, if you need a Bible, thank you, Inger. I am all over the map this morning. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. We will get one to you. Uh, that's yours to keep. Uh, I see one hand, two, one hand in the middle there. Thank you. Thank you, Inger. Uh, I'll get it together, right? He's writing to the church. He's writing to the Christian community of people because their collective witness has not been reflective of the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus has been is resurrected, has been gone for almost 30 years at this point, and it feels like the church is starting to fall apart. This book is applicable to both individuals and as well as groups. This passage is about the big two themes of John. God is light and God is love. Sometimes in the middle of the night when I wake up, I need to go to the bathroom, I need to get a drink of water, and it's dark, and I'm trying not to wake everybody up. I try to walk the place. I've lived in a house for two years, and I've walked the same path hundreds of times, and I'm trying to walk the same path just to get to the kitchen. But when it's darker, it's a lot challenging, right? Your self-confidence goes down when it's dark. You're stepping on toys, you're running into walls, you're tripping on carpet. But if a light is on, it solves that problem. Seem pretty simplistic, but this morning I want to make clear for us to understand that God is light. The big theme this morning is how can we live in the light? If you've heard this story before, just follow along with me. Every time something happens in the neighborhood, you turn on the TV, maybe we don't turn on the TV anymore, but follow me if you're over 30, right? You turn on the TV and something tragic has happened in the neighborhood, right? And the neighbors are being interviewed, like maybe somebody's, there's a drug buzz or something happened. I remember in May of 2013, I think it was, there was a guy who unfortunately had several women in his basement for 10 years against their will and his neighbors didn't know about it, right? It's like you see the news stories and then what happens when they interview the neighbor, this happens over and over, right? I thought I knew the guy. He's been my neighbor for five years. He's been my neighbor for 10 years. You didn't know him. You thought you knew him, but you didn't know him. I remember in college or high school when I had athletes up on my wall, right? I looked, I looked at those people, but I knew one part of their life. I didn't know their whole lives. Some of those athletes that I had on my wall were busted for drugs, Right? They were, in, they were doing things that I could not possibly know. My mentor tells a great story. He says when he was a kid, his dad was a chaplain of the Atlanta Falcons uh, uh, football team. And one day, his hero was coming to town. Uh, 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 what's his name? The running back from the Bears. If you, if you know his name, shout it out. Walter Payton. Somebody did it. Thank you. Walter Payton is coming to town. And his dad's like, I'm going to bring you so you can go to this breakfast so you can meet the athletes. And my mentor says he's excited. He gets in the lunchroom and all these athletes are coming in and he's seeing them. And then he gets in line to get his food and his hero, 
Walter Payton is walking down and getting his breakfast. Walter Payton was a huge endorser of Wheaties, right? So, yeah, you know where the story's going. He, he gets his breakfast, and he, he gets his Wheaties. And he sits down, and his, his, his hero gets Raisin Bran. <laughs> and he said at that moment, he's like, what's going on? I, I've been eating my Wheaties. If you're an 80s or 90s kid, you know what I'm talking about, right? The athletes endorse Wheaties. And Wheaties, they don't taste good. Let's face it. <laughs> they don't taste good. And he's eating the Raisin Bran. He asked Walter Payton, he said, Mr. Payton, how come you're eating Raisin Bran? He said, kid, I don't eat that stuff. I don't eat Wheaties. And he's crushed. He thought he knew him, right? It's like the athlete that you see who, who's endorsing Sprite, but you know they're not drinking Sprite like you and I are drinking Sprite. Right? The public image sometimes does not match the private personality. Some people always cynically say, don't ever meet your heroes because you can be disappointed. Our modern Western world has turned our deep natural desire to be seen and known into a created world that pushes us to be guarded and hidden, to secrecy, to creating avatars, to becoming relational chameleons, to a disoriented, differentiated, private, and public persona in our lives. What I'm trying to say is sometimes our society forces us to have to separate our private and public life. This in, a, this in an extension goes to the church. If there's one critique I always hear about the church is that we are full of hypocrites. Our actions don't always match our words. Where, in other words, we're not eating our Wheaties when we're projecting other people should be eating their Wheaties. Our orthodoxy doesn't always match our orthopraxy. Our beliefs don't always match our practice. We have hidden parts. We live in darkness. We are in half shadows and half light. We are pulled, sometimes it feels like we are pulled to live in darkness when we serve a God that is full of light. Some here today, maybe there's, if you're sitting here today, maybe there's some areas of darkness in your life. I don't know what those are, but I can name off a few things. Alcoholism, drunkenness, right? Hatred, unforgiveness, right? Are your companions... Dishonesty is a part of your life. It can't, sometimes it seems like everyone in society is hiding everything from everyone else. We're living in incognito mode sometimes in real life. Your life would crumble socially if folks found out what you looked at on your phone. I didn't hear an amen there, but I'm going to keep going. Some of you, your spouse would be hurt, disappointed if they saw what's in your phone, what they saw on your Facebook page, your Instagram page, your Twitter account. Some of those places are dark places. Your dating profile does not reflect the light that you claim to follow. I know we just got started and it's early. You feel like, oh, Marcus, you're going there already. I'm, so... <laughs> I haven't preached, I haven't said this in a while, I know I haven't, but this sermon is one of those sermons where I put my feet on your couch. Here's what I mean by that. 
Some sermons kind of get on your street, some get into your house metaphorically, but some of them hits home that it gets so far, the preacher is so far into your life, it feels like he's talking about you. It's like you just invited a preacher into your house and he's sitting on your couch and he just put his feet all over your couch. Your nice couch, your nice table, and now I'm on there. I'm going to go into your fridge as well too. What you got in there? (laughs) John the writer is exposing the clear distinction between those who walk in the light, and those who walk in darkness. So how do we live in light? What does this text say about that? Pick me up in verse 6 of chapter 1 of 1 John. There are a lot of ifs in this passage, but it's the first one. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. This is the we that Paul is, that John is writing about. This is a clear statement to the church. If you claim to walk with God, yet you live in darkness, you are lying. You keep secrets, you lie. You can keep secrets. You can lie to your neighbors, you can lie to your friends, maybe even your RC members, your roommates, but you cannot lie to God. He sees it all, and he is both comforting and convicting. Sometimes it's scary, and it feels like, man, I'm going to be defeated. I'm going to be found out. Verse 8 puts us in a bind. Verse 8 says this. If we say another if, another we, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. A life lived in darkness is a life lived in lies and deceitfulness. Some of us, in fact, as I'm preaching right now, you recognize the struggle within your own life. He said, I have sinned. I know that. This is why I cling to the Lord. Amen. But, but there are parts of me that are hard to let go of. This is why I pursue Christ. And I, and I want to commend you for pursuing Christ. We walk in this great tension of acknowledging our sin at the same time loving our Savior. There have historically people been in the church, right? Historically people in the church that want to say they are sinless. Without sin, maybe you've met some of those people, pejoratively people call them, they don't say this word in Africa, people call them holy rollers. It's okay. It was a half joke. Those people have, I'll say this, those people have either lowered God's standard for holiness or they've redefined sin in order to validate it in their lives. And they're deceiving themselves by saying, I am sinless. We are prone to lies. We need the light. We need the light to get out of darkness, to get out of sin. We need God. This is why I think the church, the church is the beautiful place the way it is. This is why sometimes church people can be both beautiful and a mess at the same time. Right? At the same time, they can be just wrestling with something, but also a picture of God's grace. I used to have an old friend, and I loved him. We loved him. He was in our RC back in, back in Denver. I'll just call him Bob, right? I had an RC, probably 18, 20 people. Bob would come every week. Bob's backstory was that he grew up in Kentucky. He's an older African-American male. He's in his mid-60s, but he had been treated wrong by some white people. I can say that, right? Um, he had been treated wrongly by some white people. He wasn't quite educated. He didn't make it through school, and he had a lot of disadvantages, a lot of racism against him, right? He would sit in my RC every week, and he would say something. He would say it quite frequently, 
Right? He would say, I used to hate white people. Mind you, there are about 15 white people in the room. <laughs> he said, but now I don't. Right? He worked odd jobs. He had his rough edges, but he was genuine in his emotions. He shared his testimony to whoever would listen. Right? If you would come over, he invited me one time over his house, his one-bedroom one apartment that he made some fish for me. And we're sitting there. He was, I called him, an evangelist in the hood. But he was fighting his demons. He wasn't what he once was. But he wasn't there yet. That's where all of us should be. You're not what you once was. But you're not there yet. A lot of us in here, in some capacity, the light has come to us, but there's still some dark parts in there that we need to solve. The problem is we are hesitant to see other people like that. God's grace love to work, loves to work in humble, contrite hearts, a heart that knows how deep and how sinful our nature can be, a heart that fights against the deceit of self-righteousness. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We need to have hearts that welcomes God, the light. If you're in Christ, there should be improvement in your life. That's a simple statement, but I would like to repeat it. If you are in Christ, there should be improvement in your life. When light enters, metaphorically, the roaches used to scatter. If you don't know what a roach is, we can have a conversation. <laughs> You cannot remain the person that you are on multiple levels if you come to Christ. Jesus used to always ask people, do you want to be well? Some people love living in their messes because it gives them an identity. You want to stay where you are, but at the same time, you want to reach out to Christ. You're like, can I trust Jesus if I surrender this to him? Can I trust him? Can I give him my struggle? Can I turn over my identity to Jesus Christ? We ought to be, as Christians, already and not yet people, meaning Christ has come and you're working on it. Your sanctification is going. You've embraced God's grace and he's working in you, but you know you're not going to be completely fully healed until he comes back. We should be a picture of grace and sanctification. When Jesus comes in, a gradual move into more and more light should be visible to you and to others around you. I prefer the amens, right? Sometimes, if it comes, it comes. If it doesn't, don't force it. Last September, many of you know that I had, I had, um, I had hip replacement surgery. I know I look 22. Thank you very much. I had hip replacement surgery, and as painful as my situation was for the last seven years before I got there, I couldn't run. I barely get out of, in and out of the car. I was limping, and I, and I braved, and I said, you know what? I want to lose this thing. I want to kind of live new. So I had hip replacement surgery, and it was a painful experience. I haven't cried like that. Let me just be, let me just be, let me just be real right now. I haven't cried like that since I was a child. Right? Almost. I was, I was this close to crying for my mama. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> Lord, mama, come for me, please. But here's what the surgeon did. The surgeon cut and he replaced 
It wasn't an overnight healing. Like that next day, I was in so much pain. But gradually, I started walking with a walker, right? And then I went to a cane. And then I was limping. And now I'm able to run. Some way, God's grace helps us to crawl in faith before we walk, before we can start running. You start to see things fall out by the wayside, your insecurities, your lies, your, you take advantage of people, all those things. What I'm trying to tell you is that when you give your life to Christ, it can be painful because sometimes you have to forgive people you don't want. And sometimes you have to ask for forgiveness, right? You have to surrender to God's grace and his work. And it's painful. There are habits that you need to, there are habits that in you that are need to die. We cannot stay the same when the light comes to us. When we embrace God's grace to walk in this life, our life changes and is very painful. But you've got to start somewhere. Or you will be lying to yourself to say you can do it on your own. Fewer things are more pitiful than convincing yourself of a lie. Fewer things are more painful than convincing yourself of a lie. I used to watch the TV show Seinfeld a while back, and I still remember some of the lines. I remember George Costanza. If you don't know the show, it's okay. He said, at one episode, I remember him talking. He said, it's not a lie if you believe it. <laughs> some people live like that. Submit to the process of regular confession. Dying to yourself. Submit yourself. If you're wanting to walk in the light, submit yourself to regular confession. Dying to yourself. Believe me, it's hard. I sat down one night about 12, I don't know, 15 years ago to write a letter to the man who killed my father to tell him that I forgave him. Hardest letter I ever written. To, 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 to forgive someone who took something from me so dearly. But I too had some people that needed to forgive me for things that I'd done. And I needed to let God's healing process begin to take over. It was too long that I held on to unforgiveness and it crippled my life. So how do you get to that point? How do you get to the point where you can, you can live in the light, right? Where you're extracted from lies, where the self-deception is, is, is not okay for you to maintain, right? You, you, you want to step into the freedom of, of confession and living with Christ and the freedom that you have with that and living in his grace, knowing that you will fall at some points, but he will pick you back up, pick me up in verse 9. Here's how you do it. Verse 9, another if. He says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We confess here. Thank you, Alicia, for leading that this morning. We present an opportunity for confession every Sunday right in this room. It is a few minutes for us to self-examine and confess, but you don't have to wait until Sunday to do that. You can do that every day. Let confession be a part of your life. It sets you free. It's an opportunity to put on display in front of God your hidden self. This is the time to come clean. I love the American idiomatic expression, come to Jesus meeting. You know that one? When someone says it's going to be a come to Jesus meeting, what does that mean? Man, it's about to be tears. Somebody's about to be ashamed. It's, it's about to go down. It's like, oh. When at work, you're like, it's a come to Jesus meeting. Oh, look, somebody about to get fired. Lord, no. <laughs> right? This is the time for you to this is a time for you to experience God's grace. Even though you have sinned and will sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you. 
right? So the idiomatic expression, come to Jesus, is, is, is sometimes has been flipped and used in a different way. When you come to Jesus, it's not that he's about to shame you and put all your stuff on front street. When I was 17 years old, I hesitated whether to tell this story, but I got to tell this story so you know. I was arrested. Everybody's like, whoa, your pastor was arrested? <laughs> I got in some trouble when I was 17. And everybody says this, but it wasn't my fault. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. <laughs> <laughs> One of my friends, an associate, had stolen a car. And he was giving me and a couple of my other friends rides to and from school. Who doesn't want rides to and from school? And, and, and at some points he said, you know what, Marcus, you don't have a license, but I can teach you how to drive. So we're, we're in there, and I don't know the rules, I, yeah, right? I don't have a permit or nothing, Lord, right? And he puts me behind the wheel, and I'm driving this car. Little did I know, or did we know, the police was taking pictures. Six weeks. I was sitting in my SAT prep class, and the police came in my class and got me, handcuffed me, and took me out of school. What a shameful experience. It took me down to the police station and started reading me the, the charges, and I didn't know what a felony was. They said, you have, there's two felonies. And they kept, the way they said, you know, sometimes the way people say things, you're like, that must be serious, right? <laughs> he kept saying, there's two felonies, right? Breaking and entering someone's home. My, parent, my friend had broken into someone's home and stealing a vehicle. He said, this one carries five years. This one carries five years. I was thinking, oh, Lord, I'm going to jail for probably 10 years. I was 17. The confession that took place that day, <laughs> I started crying in there again. I started confessing everything I did. I, I told him, I said, there was some apple Jolly Ranchers in the glove compartment. I ate that. <laughs> True story. I started, I, the, the detective was stoic. It's the judicial system, right? But that's not God. Even though, right, God is just and merciful, Right? The, stoic, the stoicness of the law is not what you should be afraid of. He's not a punitive God. He is a just and merciful God. He's faithful and just. You are going, in confession, you are going to a just and faithful God, a forgiving God, not a punitive God. Go and confess. And confession, by the way, is not a one-time thing. We sin daily, if not hourly. One of my professors in seminary used to always close class by saying, go now, young, he used to say, go and try not to sin. What he was trying to say is that we, we should always oh, live in a confessional lifestyle. We should be open to having confession be a part of our lives. We cannot do it in our own strength, ladies and gentlemen. I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, only the Holy Spirit can move you closer to the light. God is light, and in him there's no darkness. When I spent the night in that jail when I was 17, someone else had to vouch for me, for me to, for me to get out. I didn't go to jail, don't worry, right? I did have to go to, I did have to, go to court, and the, as the story goes, my friend actually confessed after, after all that to say that he stole a car and I had nothing to do with it. Thank God. So this God, this light, this light that is capable of changing lives, how do we get to know him? Who is this God? 
who is this God that is capable of changing people's lives, of making us and pushing us towards living morally pure lives? Who is this God, right? Verse 5 tells us who this God is. He says, verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light. In him is no darkness at all. God is light. In him, no darkness at all. In language and philosophy, there are two types of is. I don't know the right way to say that. There's the is of predication and there's an is of identity. This is, in this sentence, is an is of identity, meaning is is part of God's being. It's ontologically, ontologically unchangeable part of him is a part that he's light. This is God's nature. God is life and in him, in, God is light and in him there is no darkness. There cannot be darkness. One commentator clarifies it this way. He says, darkness stands for or represents error and sin, while light stands for moral purity. The two are incompatible, the writer says. John is emphasizing that God is holy in his essence and righteousness in what he does. He, John, may also be making a point that light illuminates a path or exposes things so that God illuminates, God illuminates the hearts of men and women, exposing all that is contrary to his nature. God is light, my brothers and sisters. When you come into him, or he comes into you, you're, you should reflect his light. His light will reflect in you. God is light. It's part of, this is part of God's identity. Let me flesh this out a little bit more. In the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 1, God says, in the Bible writes, in the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Some of us have asked the question, if you read the Bible pretty precisely, you understand it, you know that light and the sun are very different. That was day one when God said, let there be light. The sun, God does not make until day four. So what is bringing light into the world? God is light. God is light. Jesus says this. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life in John chapter 8. John writes in reference to Jesus. He says, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In the New Testament, light is a, is a symbol. Light and darkness are symbols of good and evil. Light represents life with God, and darkness represents the absence of light, an existence without God. The God we serve is a God of light, and that's a great thing. Don't miss this now, ladies and gentlemen. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14. It's going to come up on the screen in a minute, right? The Bible tells us that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. It means that Satan, Satan tries to take advantage of our love for light or the light that draws us to him to, in order to deceive us. He wants us to think that he is good, truthful, and powerful, all the things that God is, that he is not. But he is a deceiver, and this is why it's important to seek out and live out light because the devil deals in darkness. You ever watch a movie or go to a place and, man, that was dark. Right? The symbol of evil, you can see it. Darkness is, is, represents evil. When things are dark, people do things that they wouldn't do otherwise in the light. Most people are not drawn to darkness but to light. 
Therefore, Satan appears as a creature of light to draw us to himself, and he is a liar, and he is the father of lies. And if you lie, you're making, you're making, you're making a call to say, you know what? The devil is where I want to go to. If you live in darkness, you're walking behind the devil. It got quiet up in this camp, but that's okay. We who live in light can be assured of one thing. That in the new heavens and the new earth, John writes, this is so beautiful. Make the connection from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, from the beginning of the Bible to the end. Revelation 22 verse 4 says this, they will see his face and his name will be, will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. There will be no need for lamp or light or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Can you make the connection here that God was light before there was a sun and in the new heavens and new earth there will be no sun and he will be the light. And he is so bright. Somebody's going somebody's to say amen somewhere because he's going to be the light and there will be no darkness. We won't need a sun. The sun provides life right now. And when, when, when God says in the new heavens and the new earth, I will be your source of life. So when Jesus says, I am the, 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 the light, come to me. I am life, come to me. He is saying something. You make, are you making the connection? Please make the connection this morning that God is the one who created light. He is light. Just as, once, just as he once was in the light, God will once again, once again crush darkness and be our light. And what a day that will be. We won't need human-made light. No light bulbs will be changed in heaven. <laughs> We won't need the sun. If I preach that sermon in Alaska in the winter, it may not hit, right? But if I say that down here in the summer, you don't want to say, we won't need the sun. You're like, oh, yeah, 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 that hits. I hear you, Marcus. I hear you. Right? Move towards God. Move toward the light. God's grace is sufficient. If you're sitting this morning, you say, yes, I would like to move towards the light, but I don't know how to do it. You start with a humble posture and, and, and let God's grace be sufficient for whatever it is you are going through right now. Whatever hidden part of your life that you said, I want to surrender this to the Lord, but I just don't know how. Start with God's grace. Ask him. Confess to him. Open yourself up to him. And it's not punitive. It is grace. You will fall, but he will love you. Move toward God and he will move towards you. Relying on God's grace is in the light. Bring it all in the light. The light sets us free. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to urge you this morning as we sit and think and think through what it looks like to live in the light. The first step is confession. You begin to walk with the Lord when you humble yourself and surrender your life to him. Would you bow your heads with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your attribute of being full of light. There is no darkness in you that cannot be. From the beginning all the way to the end, you are the God who sees all, 
Heavenly Father, I pray for the hearts and minds in this room right now. There's somebody in here who wants to experience your light. Would you make it clear to them this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're, you're such a graceful, forgiving, and just God. You are merciful, O oh God. There's no fear. Come. The Lord is calling somebody this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.